And eventually, we're going to get to Joshua chapter 2. If you want to take a Bible and open it to Joshua chapter 2. Summertime is here. We just finished up James. And what we're going to do is a summer series of messages that's entitled Desperate for God. The walking through the valley of the shadow of death kind of times of life. Desperate. The time when someone like Nebuchadnezzar says, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And, and, as, and as a child of God, the response is, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden image that you've set up. We don't have a golden image of Nebuchadnezzar problem these days with Nebuchadnezzar demanding that we worship him, but there are some pressures in our world demanding you and I as believers to bow down to them, and we have a desperate need for God in the midst of it. We're desperate for him. Of the many passages that could be used, I think Psalm 18 verse 6 serves as a really good theme verse for 10, 12 messages on being desperate for God. Psalm 18 David said this, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to him. It isn't just a passive prayer. This is an on your knees, white knuckle, fists clenched kind of prayer. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. He wrote this after having been delivered from what he says, it says in this psalm, all of his enemies and especially Saul who was seeking his life. Habakkuk was desperate for God in a different way, a different situation. As a prophet of the Lord, he saw the injustices among God's people, and his prayer was this, How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. A different type of desperation. You might want to read that book, three small chapters. In Psalm 107, four different times, the psalmist wrote, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. Desperate for God. Desperate. A couple of weeks ago, I sent out a text to uh, several folks in our church, 20, 25 people, I do it from time to time, asking for examples of biblical characters that came to their mind of people that were desperate for God. Um, in reality, everyone who walks the earth is desperate for God. The vast majority don't realize it or refuse to acknowledge God and their need for Him. Um, but I was thinking especially of individuals or situations where without God's help, the situation is completely, absolutely hopeless. The response provided a lot of great examples and I do that from time to time, and, and I don't do any particular um, group of people. I just kind of choose some at, at randomly, and if you'd like to be included in that, let me know, and, and occasionally I will. But from the people that were texts, these are some of the biblical examples of, of those that were desperate for God. Jacob, when he wrestled all night long with the angel of the Lord and wouldn't let him go. Rahab, whose life and entire family depended upon it. We're going to look at Rahab this morning. The man by the pool of Bethesda that didn't have anybody to put him in. 
but he went there every day anyway, absolutely hopeless. Samson, so desperate that he was willing to take his own life. He wasn't great on his character qualities, but he was so desperate at the end of life, he was willing to give his own life to take that of his enemies. David, when he was repenting because of his sin with Bathsheba. Paul saying, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward to the mark ahead of me. Daniel, still willing to go to a window and pray openly, unashamedly, even though it was forbidden by the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, probably the most powerful person that ever existed, saying to the person, we will not bow down and worship you. Our God can save us, and if he chooses not to, we're still not bound down. The woman caught in adultery that was forgiven much, the man who had a legion of demons, People that were desperate, if God didn't do something, nothing was going to happen. Esther and Mordecai, Hannah, Samuel's mother who was barren, she couldn't have any children. Josiah, the king who'd, who destroyed all the idols. The centurion with a sick child, Ruth and Naomi, Peter when he denied his Lord. We find a spiritual truth over and over and over in Scripture. It's stated in various ways, but here's how it's stated in Jeremiah chapter 29. You will seek me and find me. Do you know how that ends? You will seek me and find me when you search for me with what? Kind of half-heartedly? Oh, you know, on Sunday at 10 o'clock, and if Jerry goes a little bit too long, then we're going to just cut it off. Um, Even if I don't get up and leave because I'm going to be polite, I'm going to quit listening. You seek me and find me when we seek the Lord with all of our heart. Absolutely desperate, a desperate pursuit. This is how David visualize it as a deer pants or longs or craves for flowing streams for water brooks so pants my soul for you O god my soul thirsts for god for the living god israel was told when they seek the lord with all their heart with all their soul then they would have then he would have compassion on them deuteronomy chapter 30 and we could find that same idea over and over and over throughout scripture When someone is desperate for God, these are the kinds of qualities that surround them. They have a thirst for the Lord. It isn't just some light devotion. They have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. They have eyes that have the ability to see eternally. It isn't just today that I'm worried about or what I'm going to do or who I'm going to marry. They're able to see eternally. There's an understanding of the depth and the vastness of the forgiveness that they've received, something that we reminded ourselves of this morning. There's an intense devotion, intense, like the man who had, who had a legion of demons, and they, went, they were cast into the swine who threw themselves over the cliff, and the first thing the man said was, I want to go with you, Jesus. And he said, no, you go back to your city. And you tell them what the Lord's done, to you, done for you. An intense devotion. Someone that's tired of status quo. A genuine hatred for sin or any particular aspect of sin. Not for the sinner, but for the sin that's behind what's going on. I want us this morning to consider the example of Rahab. And I'm in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. And just to bring us up to date on where we're at, historically, the children of Israel have wandered in the desert for 40 years because of disobedience. They took a 14-day trip, 10 to 14 days, packed it into 40 years. They wandered for 40 years. Moses had led them. He died. And in Joshua chapter 1, 1 and 2, God speaks to Joshua telling him that he's in charge now, that he would walk with him. 
Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Three times in chapter 1, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Surely be strong and courageous. Gives me the idea that Joshua, even though he's an incredible individual, must have needed that reassurance from God that he needed to be strong and courageous. He told it to him three different times. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and and command the people, prepare, prepare your provisions for within three days, you're to pass over this Jordan, that was already a feat, to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. He had a word from the Lord, but he still acted with wisdom, and he decided to send two spies, and he told them, go and view the land, and especially look at Jericho. Go and view the land, and especially Jericho. And I find it interesting that he sent two spies, not like the 12 spies that were sent into the land of Canaan back in Numbers 13. He was one of those 12. When they went into the land of Canaan and spied it out, they brought back a good report and said, we can't do it. There are 10 of them. 10 of the 12 said, this is too big. The people are too strong. We don't have the ability to do this. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go at once. God is in it. We're able to overcome it. This time, instead of sending 12, he sent two. Might be something in that, maybe not. Who was Rahab? Chapter 2, verse 1. Who was Rahab? They went and came into the house of a harlot or a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Rahab was known for her employment decisions. She was a prostitute. She lived on or in the city wall. That's what she did in order to make ends meet. Um, They went to her house and they lodged there. Rahab is mentioned later on in scripture as well. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31. We just finished James. She was mentioned in James chapter 2 verse 25. Both mentioning that she was a harlot. It was what tagged her life at that particular time. Both passages also mentioning her faith commitment and the work that she did for the Lord by hiding the spies. Something happened and was happening to Rahab though. And I think think Psalm 34 verses 8 through 10 describes what happened to her. It's fitting, I believe, that her great-great-grandson David penned these words. Not just of Rahab, but of anyone who would taste of the Lord. Listen to what he says in Psalm 34, verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Peter would later use that same phrase, taste of the Lord, and say this, If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, lay aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, and as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that was becoming Rahab's reality. She wasn't that before, 
But things changed the night that a couple of spies showed up at her door and God began to work in her life. God's mercy is able to reach into the enemy's camp and transfer the, and transform the lives of those who will turn their hearts to him. And I want you to hear this. That was, that was in Jericho with Rahab. He can do it in Lone Jack with somebody whose life needs to be transformed for the glory of God as well. He's still able to do that because of the power that's in the blood of Jesus Christ. He did it with Rahab. He can still do it today. If your life needs to be transformed, he has the capacity to transform your life today. Also, taste of the Lord and see that he's good. He always requires that we believe him and walk in that belief. He can still do it today. We also find Rahab in Matthew's genealogy of our Lord over in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. This is what it says, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And we find in that passage that there were 14 generations from Abraham to David. There were 14 generations from David until the Babylonian captivity. And then there were 14 generations from the Babylonian captivity to Christ. So we find Rahab, this prostitute, this harlot, having an encounter with God, and then we find her in Jesus' genealogy. I find that incredible. That just screams of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. Rahab was Boaz's mother, the Boaz of the book of Ruth. Rahab was Boaz's mother, making her Obed's grandma. She was Jesse, who was David's dad. She was, she was Jesse's great-grandma. That would have made Rahab the harlot, David's great-great-grandmother, just to kind of put it in perspective. Now, probably because of the age difference between a grandson and a great-great-grandmother, likely David didn't know her or even meet her. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say. Um, but what we would know is that the family would speak of the things that she did because Scripture speaks of the things that she did. And so his life would have been formed around uh, that and her commitment to the Lord as well. That's a little bit about who Rahab was. What did Rahab do? Look at verse 2. It was told to the king of Jericho Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house. So he knew where they had gone and whose house they had entered, um, for they have come to search out the land. So he was aware of what was going on. But verse 4 says, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She didn't do what the king wanted her to do. She hid them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Well, that was her first lie. And when the gate was about to close at dark, the men went out. That was her second lie. And I don't know where the men went. That was number three. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. That was number four. And so in the midst of Rahab hiding these two spies because she feared what was going to happen to her and her family and her city, um, we find her encountering God and some transactions going on, but we also see her lying in the midst of it. She lied to the king's messengers. Even more than that, she misdirected the men so that she, so that she would be able to protect them. What made her do that? Rahab recognized what God had done and would do as Israel was conquering the land that he said he was going to give them. She was desperate. If I don't do something, I will die. And my father will die. 
and my mother will die, and my brothers will die, and my sisters will die. Those within her city were sure to die, and she would die also if she didn't help these two spies. That would have been some of the logic going on in her mind. Obviously, we know that God is also working in the background also. Look at verse 6. She had brought them up on the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them, the king's men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and as the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Behold, the men lay down, and she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Their reputation, Israel's reputation, but not just Israel's reputation, God's reputation in working in and with Israel um, was, was common knowledge for her. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. This was her motivation. I'm going to risk my life, because the king would have taken her life also for what she did. I'm going to risk my life, hide these men, have the fear of the Lord, and see if, see if that might help me. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. That was 40 years earlier. And they're still talking about it. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you uh, came out of Egypt. What you did to the two kings of the Amorites, that was more recent, who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And so the reputation that they had was everything that they would go into, everything would be slaughtered. And we've heard about that. We know what God did for you back in Israel. We know what you did as well to these two different kings. Verse 11, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is the God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. We see a confession here of Rahab that's different from the, from the rest of those of Jericho. This woman responded, of course God's working behind the scenes, but she reasoned, if I don't help these spies, I'm as good as dead. I am in a desperate, dark, no-hope situation. If I lie and get caught, the king kills me. If I don't help these men, then they're going to destroy me as well. I'm as good as dead, just like the two kings and their people, Sihon and Og, who were destroyed to destruction. Rahab was desperate. If God didn't help her, no one could. Without God's help, she was hopeless. And I know that we don't have a Rahab situation here today, and we're not conquering Jericho, and, and we don't have a king coming against us, kind of. I mean, that's going on as well politically. But there are a lot of people that are here, and likely some are in a desperate situation. Lots of desperation for lots of different motives of being desperate. When we think about Jacob and wrestling with the Lord all night long, or the centurion bringing his sick child that was going to die to Jesus, or, or Naomi and Ruth and their situation. Lots of motives for being desperate, and this was one of them. The next thing you know, these two spies so, show up at her doorstep. She took a chance because the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And that's a great reason to take a chance. It's a great reason to lay down all of the things that I'm doing that have no spiritual value to them, and believe in and trust Jesus Christ. He died for our sin. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's coming back again. That's a pretty good motive for sidestepping anything that gets in the way. That's what she was doing. Look at verse 12. Now, when they, now then, please swear to me. So she had a plan. 
Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. And deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. She let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the, in the wall. She included her father's house. Everything she did would have gotten killed if the king had found out, um, but she would have gotten killed if she hadn't have helped these men as well. She included her father's house. She asked for a sign for them to swear an oath. She told the spies where they should go and what they should do. Verse 17 says, the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to the oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and you shall gather into your house, your father, your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. And if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the streets, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is within your house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this mess business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath, with the oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. The picture that you get here is that there's a negotiation going on. My life for yours. And they said, yes, that's fine. She had them uh, swear an oath and they said, that's fine. Don't don't tell anyone this business, and if you're not in your house, anyone that leaves the house, they're free game as well, and you tie this scarlet cord in your window so we're going to know who it is, and all of Israel will know who it is that they're supposed to protect, and then she sends them away, and it's almost like, it doesn't say it, but it's almost like the first thing she did was run to that window and tie that cord in that window because she didn't know when they were coming, and she wanted to be safe. The two men went back, they reported to Joshua, said, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. And you know the story, and maybe you should revisit it and read Joshua chapter 1 through 6 or 7. Um, God miraculously stopped the Jordan River, just like the Red Sea. Faith was required, they crossed on dry land. They took 12 stones for a memorial for themselves and future generations from the middle of the river. And set it up on the other side in the promised land. Joshua had an encounter with the commander of the Lord's army. Who told him the, the ground that he stood on was holy. And as we turn to chapter 6 we find Joshua getting specific instructions about how he is supposed to conquer Jericho. And our goal this morning isn't to talk about the conquering of Jericho. That we want to re relay some of those facts. It's more to consider the person of Rahab in her desperate need in the middle of this situation. Look at verse 3. Or Israel surrounded the city. No one went in. No one went out. The Lord told Joshua he had given it into his hands. And then in verse 3 it says, You shall march around the city, all your men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. The seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass... When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the tr uh, trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Armed men went before the ark of the Lord. The priests carried the ark. They blew their trumpets. 
once each day for six days. Armed men also followed the processional. Finally, on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. And at the appointed time, the ram's horn was blown and all of the people shouted. That was the battle plan. And it worked. They, they marched around that city one time on the first day. And they blowing their horns, and they marched around that city the second day, blowing their horns, and they did that for six days. And on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, and then they blew their trumpets, and the ram's horn was blown, and they screamed and shouted, and the walls fell down. And wherever all of the men of Israel that were warriors were, they went straight up into the city to conquer the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. All we can say about that is that God evidently in his wisdom and his omniscience knew the hearts of every person in that city. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to think he's a mean God. He's a God who is righteous completely, absolutely. He is a judge. He will judge again. And the only reason that you and I might not face judgment is because of the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, that was shed for us. So I hope, I hope that you have applied the blood of Jesus Christ by faith to your life and heart and that you have a devotion to the Lord. It's the only thing that's going to help you. And just because you're here on Sunday morning doesn't mean that's true. Just because you've heard it over and over and over doesn't mean that's true either. It's a faith engagement with the Lord, his blood for mine, his life for mine. I get his righteousness. He gets my sin. You can't find anything any, any more merciful than that. Um, But the city was doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, verse 17, because she hid the messengers that were sent. That would have been Rahab's fate as well. She would have died, but she feared the Lord and acted upon her fear of the Lord. Verse 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpet. It happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Verse 22, but Joshua has said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house. And from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. In her desperation, if I do nothing, I die. If I do this, maybe I live. In her desperation, she ignored her king. She redirected. She lied to his emissaries. And she hid the two spies. And because of her fear for the Lord, God spared her life. He said to the two men, go to the hardest house. From there, bring the woman out and all that she has as you swore to her. The young men who had been spies went in, brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Not only was she a Gentile that was considered dirty, but she was a harlot as well. 
And Joshua, because of the act that she did in her fear for the Lord, Joshua spared her life, and it says that she lived in Israel to this day. And we don't know the where or the when, but at some point she married Solomon, the man that says uh, she and her had Boaz, over from Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And we read some of Boaz's story in the book of Ruth. Naomi and Ruth are another situation of a desperate need to trust the Lord. You may not be a harlot. You may not be adulterous. Your city and your country may not be in jeopardy. But there are some lessons that we can learn from Rahab's desperation. She feared the Lord more than she feared the king. And I want you to hear this. We need to fear the Lord more than we fear a president. We need to be more on fire for representing Jesus Christ than we are a particular political party. We need to fear the Lord. She feared the Lord more than she feared her king. That is especially relevant for us today. There are many lessons. She allowed her fear of the Lord to motivate her to bold acts of faith, of believing God. At the same time, she allowed her believing God to be put into very practical steps like hiding the spies or sending the king the opposite direction or requiring a pledge from the two spies for her family's life. She tasted of the Lord and pursued him in desperation. So what began on that night when two spies knocked on her door changed her life direction completely. She continued to dwell in Israel. She married an Israelite. She had Boaz. She finds herself in the lineage of Jesus. That's incredible. It's the mercy of God. She tasted of the Lord. She pursues him in desperation. James tells us that Rahab's faith walk matched her confession. Does your faith walk match your confession? The things that you say that you believe? If you really believe, Del Tackett, I think, is the man. If we really believe what we really believe, would we really do what we're doing? Her faith walk matched her confession. When faced with the choice to fear the Lord and honor Him or fear those around me and cave to the influences of the day, I pray that you and I as believers follow the desperate faith of Rahab the harlot that she demonstrated in God. Rather than vacillating and justifying a lack of standing Rather than vacillating and justifying a lack of standing for our Lord, may we stand for our Lord and stand strong. Recognize the desperations that we have in life and let it motivate us. Let them, uh, let them motivate us to pursue the Lord with goodness. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. I think of Old Testament figures like Moses and Isaiah and Aaron and Abraham all human but incredible individuals and you chose to use Rahab a harlot and because of her faith response to you her fear of the Lord you benefited her and we find it incredible that she is David's great-great-grandmother and we find her in the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I thank you Father that you are able to transform a harlot's life. I thank you that you're able to transform a liar's life. 
you're able to transform a drug user's life. You're able to transform an adulterer's life. And Father, may we have a fear of the Lord that motivates us like what Rahab had. May we see her example and pursue you with a desperation as well. And Father, if there's anybody here this morning that would say, I'm desperate, my circumstances are different, but if God doesn't do something, I don't have any hope. I pray that you would show them that Jesus is our hope, the blessed hope, and even cause that one to find me or someone else that could open up scripture and show them how you meet them exactly where they are. You met Rahab where she was, and then you took her to the place of including her in our Lord's lineage. And we thank you for that in Christ's name.